ladies and gentlemen, the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravaging Rick Rude! There's nothing in my dreams, just some ugly memories. Please welcome the newest members of the Dangerous Alliance, I'm Anderson and Larry Zabisco! Real be my lover, I will see you insane. The world's greatest athlete and newest member of the Dangerous Alliance, the world's TV champion, stunning Steve Austin! Nothing left alive but a pair of Welcome one of Sting's best friends and a little stinger himself. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful Bobby Beaton! It's not an army, it's not a stable, and it's not a family. It's an alliance of businessmen who will bring WCW down to its knees. North-South Connection, welcome to a brand new podcast on this feed. Um, I am Sean Kidd, and I will be your host for this endeavor on the pod that we are calling The Seven Months of Danger. And this is kind of a project that I have been thinking through for a long, long time. Um, really kind of going back and doing some research on this. And we are going to go back and look at the seven months of the history of the Dangerous Alliance, looking at the moments, looking at the matches, um, talking through some of those things. And joining me on this journey are three of my actual favorite people, even though sometimes I treat them like they're not. Um, and very, very honored and privileged to have them here. So first up, Matt Souza, how are you doing tonight? Sean, doing great. Good to be here. Uh, it's an idea we have been batting back and forth for, for uh, quite a long time, so I'm glad that we are finally getting it off the ground here. So happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, real life definitely held this one back a little bit, but I think we're in a place now where we can at least get it out um, for the tenure that we're looking at doing this for. So I'm definitely glad to have you here. Uh, next up, uh, Highway to the Impact Zone uh, host, Mr. Logan Crossland. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Sean. And yeah, I feel like this one's about eight months in the making. I feel like we've been <laughs> talking about this all year. So looking forward to finally getting into it. Absolutely. Me too. And last but not least, he is my co-host on NWA Crock and Roll, uh, Mr. Scott Shiflett. How are you tonight? Sean, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. We have a nice crew as we're about to hit what I feel is a, by most common fans, an unappreciated era of WCW. But for the hardcores like us, we, we know how great it was. Yeah, and, you know, part of the interest for me in this one is, you know, obviously Schiff and I go really, really deep on NWA Crock and Roll with that whole Crockett era. Um, as, and it's, it's a lot that goes on because we're covering the whole, like, genre. In this podcast, we are going to solely focus on the things that involved the members of the Dangerous Alliance. And we might talk through, like, major shows. Hey, what were the other matches on those cards? We're not going to go into full detail. Um, like, the show that we kick off with tonight. Um, has many, many things on it that most construe as shit, uh, but we're only going to cover the majority of the, the Dangerous Alliance members in this. Um, and we're going to kind of start with episode one. The, it's kind of like a, I guess you want to say, 
a pre kind of gathering of where they're at before we get to the point of the Dangerous Alliance Alliance forming. So we're going to do a couple episodes of that to kind of see where they all stand as we lead into that. So the way it's formatted is this podcast is mapped out to go 20 episodes, so it is a limited series. As I said, we are only going to cover the Dangerous Alliance part of these things. We're going to talk about their matches uh, from certain from the dates, and we're going to go timeline all the way through the next 20 episodes, uh, where we'll obviously the big grand finale is most people consider um, War Games 92, which we will cover on our last episode, but then we'll cover the breakup that occurs after that as well to close the pod out. So uh, really excited to do this journey, but I thought, guys, to kick us off, you know, kind of give some pretext to where we WCW 1991 was um, on our journey to what our first show will be tonight that we're going to officially start covering the Dangerous Alliance members. So are we all ready to just have a little bit of a history lesson of WCW 1991 real quick? I am of ready. To, I am ready to learn. <clears throat> all right. Now feel free to comment because there's a lot in here that you just shake your head and you go, well, no wonder WCW 1991 is what it is. So first up, uh, we'll talk about 19 that will go right into January. So only only Anderson was the booker at the end of 1990. And after 1990s uh, Starcade event, which many, 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 many consider to be uh, quite the shit show event. It might be one of my favorite underrated ones based on a couple of matches in it. But for the most part, people are not a big fan of that. Um, but uh, Ole Anderson is removed from booking. Um, and so what they did is they formed a booking committee. I'm not, a committee and I'm not going to get into the names and all that. I mean, actually, you know what? I will. So here are your names on the booking committee. It was Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Kevin Sullivan, and Ric Flair. That was your booking committee after we got rid of Ole. Any comments on that booking committee before we go on, guys? Oli, you know, always miserable. We've heard the stories and everything. Jim Hurd was still was still with WCW at the time, right? Correct. That that is the main issue, mm-hmm. right okay. there. And that that's and in January we're going to see it. It's going to be rearing its ugly head come the middle of the year. But he's still there, and it's and it's bad news. Um, and also, speaking of uh, Starcade 90, I personally love that, but that's just because I'm a huge Sting Mark, and I rented that VHS as a kid. All right, numerous. so so in saying that, let's also remember Oli um, inserted himself as the Black Scorpion voice. And as, so <laughs> let's not, yeah, yeah, so, so let's not forget, he probably got fired for that gimmick alone, I would imagine. I mean, because to your point, Hurt is bad, but I'm sure Oli got fired because the Black Scorpion shit was a disaster. Uh, Logan or uh, Susan, anything else you want to add to that before we move on? I, I mean, on paper, it's a pretty good-looking booking committee with Ric Flair and Jr. I mean, obviously, it, it doesn't uh, necessarily go great. It, it goes uh, uh, varying levels of bad as you'll as you'll get to. But uh, yeah, on paper, it's interesting. <laughs> All right, Logan, anything on your end? I know you weren't born yet, so this might be new info for you. So. Well, to be fair, neither was I. But All right, well, I, you know, for some reason I have it in my head, Susan, that you're a little more of an elder statesman than Logan, but I apologize for that. I don't Logan, know how any, I feel about that. Yeah, Lo, Logan, any thought on that or any history knowledge of that happening? I, I'm kind of with Matt. I, I feel like it's interesting on paper, but we'll, we'll see kind of the disaster it turns into as we go on. All right. All right. <laughs> So as we jump into later in January, the one and only Dusty Rhodes becomes available since he is fired 
by Vince McMahon, and they really did him in on the way out because I think the last event we saw him in was him and his son, Dustin, who we are going to talk a lot about on this podcast. Uh, I believe they lost to Virgil and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. And I think, for me, the downfall of Dusty really started at SummerSlam 90, where he was just, you know, one, he was made to look like a, um, a, a cuck for Sapphire. Then he jobbed in rapid form to the Macho Man, and then it was just all downhill for him. So he was fired in January um, after that match. So what do you think WCW did? Oh, let's bring Dusty Rhodes back, and we'll make him a booker. All right? So how do you guys feel about Dusty Rhodes as booker? Well, he ended up t- taking, it felt like, a lot of ideas from w- from WWF with like making it more kid-friendly, because that's when we get like PN News. Oh, God. The rapper, <laughs> yes. which is terrible. <laughs> Yo, baby, um, yo, baby, yo. And and we'll get plenty of that on this show, too, by the way, unfortunately. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it it just seemed that Dusty, you know, uh, Sean, we'll get to it on Crock and Roll, but he was sort of out, out of ideas in 1988. So, mm-hmm. you know, rewriting this back in 1991 doesn't seem like the best idea. All right. I'm going to continue to chug along. Dusty's first move as a head booker was to wipe out the existing bookkeeping committee and decided that he was going to form his own booking committee with, <laughs> one, the father of one Jake the Snake, Roberts Grizzly Smith, who I think we all have heard in the, uh, over time. That is a real piece of shit. Uh, Magnum TA, also a booker. Uh, Ron West, who I haven't done any research and I don't know who he is. Barry Wyndham and the boring... Don West father. Oh, Damn it. <laughs> get, get it. I, I see what you did, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> Barry Wyndham, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no selling that, I have to. I'm Barry, Barry Wyndham, and the most boring freaking wrestler announcer alive I've ever seen in my life, Mike Graham, who we have covered on uh, NWA Crack and Roll. So quite the booking committee here that, honestly, the prior booking committee sounded much stronger to me than this one, but this is mm-hmm. Dusty. So this is Dusty's booking committee. So we're going to keep going. So the very first thing that happens is Hey, we spent all these months building Sting, defeating this super huge heel in the Black Scorpion that was portrayed by people like Angel of Death and Al Perez, nobody with any real substance. Uh, he revealed himself to be Ric Flair at Star K9. He said, hey, you know what? Guess what? Let's have Ric Flair beat Sting at the Omni in Georgia on January 15th, 1991. So Dusty's first kind of real big thing. Let's make Flair the champion again. But that's not all. As we go on in January, Ric Flair has two weeks to prepare for his first title defense at the January Clash of Champions. So on the Clash of Champions in January, we get a new champion, TV champion, and Arn Anderson. So um, so he beats uh, the Z-Man, who we're all going to have a lot of fun covering that guy on this podcast. Uh, but he was getting a massive push, and he was a TV champion. And he had actually defeated Arn Anderson for that belt while Arn regained it. So... I'm okay with that as far as Dusty. Um, by the way, Zank was also named WCW Sexiest Wrestler. How do you guys feel about that? <laughs> Abdullah the Butcher got rubbed. <laughs> okay, we'll continue. I'm just going to keep flying through this. Um, so as we go, I won't go through the entire undercard, but the main event of the match was Ric Flair against Scott Steiner in a 25-minute match, which I haven't seen that match in a while, but I recall it being... Uh, pretty damn great um, and a really big push for Scott Steiner. So, um, Sousa, I'll go to you. I'm just going to go to one of you on each round. Sousa, did you see this match or do you remember this clash? 
Uh, I have seen that match. It's been a while, but uh, I remember liking it too. And I, if I remember right, doesn't it, it's a, like a it's a time limit draw, isn't it? Isn't it like a TV time limit draw after uh, twenty five minutes? It's something weird like that. I think. Yeah, it's some weird ending, but yes, correct. Yeah, so the ending wasn't great, but I remember the match being pretty good. Kind of a weird match to throw out there for a clash, but it ended up working pretty well. Yeah, the time expired, and there was actually talk at the time of making Steiner. The world champion. It's kind of like similar to when Rick Steiner was getting his big push. They talked about doing that to mm-hmm. him in Starcade 88. They did the same thing with Scott. All right. So we're going to move on to February. Hey, guess what? I'm Dusty Rhodes. I'm going to bring my son Dustin in, who at the time coming out of WWF looked like a total just, um, what do I want to say? Very, very green. Uh, not very good. And so Dusty, in all his grand glory, decides I'm going to push my son in WCW. So We'll see how that plays out because this could have gone a lot worse in that aspect. So now we're going to jump to February and their main pay-per-view was WrestleWar. Um, and D- Dustin's first appearance was against Buddy Landell and he beat La- Buddy Landell in six minutes. So old timer, I mean, by the way, the card at this was overall not great, um, but we did get Dustin's uh, debut. Uh, we also got our first real look at Big Van Vader and Stan Hansen. And for all of us being on YouTube roulette, um, I think we've all embraced the glorious Stan Hansen. Not necessarily I, for one, didn't know, and none of you did because none of you were born at the time. Um, and so it'd be interesting to go back and, you know, kind of embrace that. And Big Van Vader, um, I had no idea who he was at the time, and I think we all know where Vader ends up in the long-term scheme of things in this. All right, uh, the, other, uh, the other shocker on this pay-per-view, the fabulous Freebirds, who are about 20 years expired past their expiration date, were in this mode where they're both fat with their guts. Defeated Doom, who had been absolutely dominant, dominant in six minutes for the World Tag Team titles. Um, so here's what's interesting in this. This is where we're going to talk a lot about WCW booking and their planning and their bullshit and their pre-taping. The Freebirds, at the time they had actually won these titles, had already lost the tag team titles to the Steiners at a TV taping in Atlanta two weeks earlier. So they won the titles on the pay-per-views, but in reality, two weeks ago, they had already lost them to the Steiner brothers. So... Here's how it goes. February 1st, Doom are the World Tag Team Champions. February 9th, the Freebirds come out with the tag team titles that they hadn't won. Then they were beaten by the Steiners for the tag team titles. February 24th, two weeks later, the Freebirds win the tag titles from Doom. March 2nd, two weeks later, the Steiners tag team match where they won the titles actually showed on TV uh, about a month after it had already taped. Was I crystal clear on any of that? Shit, (laughs) how did I do on that? You, you did great, but this points to an issue that WCW will have up until like 94, 95 with these taping results and with the, you know, just absurdity. Like, I know the internet wasn't that big and like we just had like the dirt sheets at this time, but like most people already knew and like people make fun of this negative day rain for the mm-hmm. Freebirds. And it, I mean, I know they were trying to save money, but also like Doom, like you said, Doom was red hot. Two months earlier, they were going to toe to toe with the Horsemen and then they drop it in six minutes to Michael Hayes and Jimmy Jam. And it's like, what are we doing? Dusty Rhodes booking, brother. Uh, and then, the, of course, and then, Logan, I'll ask you a question on this one. We had the War Games, which is a very well-known War Games, the Four horse, the Horsemen. With, and this is where the bit where <laughs> Elegante comes out um, to check on Pillman after Sid kills him. Mm-hmm. Um, the Horsemen versus Sting, Pillman, and the Steiner brothers. Um, I would consider it a really, I mean, I really enjoyed this, mm-hmm. this, this, I mean, this was a really good one. And, uh, Sid killing Pillman at the end was freaking ridiculous. So what'd you think of this war games? Cause I know you've seen it, Logan. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just I think it's a strong one uh, as 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 considered, but it's really overshadowed by the power bomb that goes horribly, horribly wrong and almost kills Brian Pillman. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good one, but I, it's not as remembered for the the fact that it was actually pretty good, but is more remembered for that uh, botched power bomb. All right, so continuing, we get to March. The big controversy of March is the whole Japan thing, where we see Tatsumi Fujinami beat Ric Flair for the world title on the WCW show that they pull off in Japan. So this goes on for a long time. We then, you know, we have no champion. We have no champion. We have no champion. Well, we decide in May that we're going to come out with this brand new pay-per-view and it's called Super Brawl and it's Super Brawl 1. Um, and I know all of us have seen this one. So I'll go around the horn on some of the big events from this one. But the main event is Tatsumi Fujinami versus Ric Flair for the world title to finally decide who holds the belt. Um, so, but a couple other interesting things in this, um, Schiff, I'll go to you. This was to have the debut of the wrestler known as Oz, who we would all go on to know as the greatest professional wrestler of all time, Kevin Nash. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so on this debut, Oz comes out with the wizard and a monkey on his shoulder, who is actually Kevin Sullivan and who can sit, all he says is, Welcome to Oz. Welcome to Oz. And it's very clear it's Kevin Sullivan. Any thoughts on Oz and his debut of Oz? One of probably the worst of all time. I've seen it, and I have never taken LSD before, but it felt like I was on LSD (laughs) at the time. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was just insane. And, like, everyone knows it's Kevin Sullivan. And, like, who did Kevin Sullivan piss off in the back to get these weird roles? Because I know we won't talk about it tonight, but he was, like, you know, the welcome to Oz guy. But then – at Halloween Havoc with the Chamber of Horrors match, he was one of like the people that say that were supposed to bring Abdullah the Butcher out. So it's like, oh, we need a you know we need a little person to go out there. Let's send out Kevin, and you know just have him talk in his Boston accent. All right, so that was the that was a big one. Um, the other thing is was the finals, I believe, in a tournament for the U.S. Tag Team Titles, and once again, uh, the Freebirds, again, twenty years past their expiration, defeat. Uh, I can't remember if they were Young Pistols. I think they were the Young Pistols at this point. Uh, with the help of Bad Street, who was a Brad Armstrong in a masked outfit with wings who flew like a bird and uh, cost the Young Pistols the U.S. So again, here we are with the Freebirds yet again as U.S. Tag Team Champions and a champion. Uh, Susa, any thoughts on the Freebirds and Bad Street? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you said, the Freebirds at this point just uh, long past their usefulness. I mean, they they were great in world class, but at this point, it's like, come on, like stop it. They were still were they still using Bad Street at this point? They hadn't moved to the second theme song yet, right? That was a year later. Uh oh, uh, I'm a free bird, and what's your excuse? That one? Yeah, I think. yeah. Uh, yeah, they haven't done that one because they're still heels. They don't do that one until they turn babyface, I believe. Well, thank goodness. But, oh, don't uh, worry. We got plenty of free birds to cover on this. Podcast. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, but so. uh, all, and uh, one more note. I was actually alive for uh, Super Brawl 1 because Super Brawl 1 took place on the day I was born. So there you go. Oh, uh, so, uh, so a couple of other. Really? The day you were born? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad we could celebrate that with the deb- debut of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> things sync up now and how you feel about Kevin Nash at this point. So uh, that's that good. makes perfect sense now, yeah. Wizard, what can I say? <laughs> there you go. There it is. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. Thank you, Logan. All right. So a couple other tidbits in this. Uh, this also has <laughs> El Higate versus Sid Vicious in a stretcher <laughs> match, which <laughs> I don't want to even get to. It has Brian Pillman 
um, against Barry Windham. Uh, at all time, maybe great tag team match at the time. That would probably have been a dream match. The Steiners versus Lex Luger and Sting, which at the time with baby faces and things like that, it was unheard of. A freaking crowd banger that was ruined at the end by Nikita Koloff trying to sickle um, Lex Luger and accidentally hitting Sting to transition them into a feud. So, um, Logan, I, I know you've seen this pay-per-view. What did you think of that tag team match? Because at the time, that was considered kind of like one of the best dream matches you could possibly get at the time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I know it's lauded as one of the best tag team matches in WCW, NWA, whatever you want to say, history. Um, it's definitely a really strong match. I, I do kind of agree with you that at the end, the finish is kind of ruined by Nikita Koloff coming out. But um, yeah, definitely a strong match. Uh, four guys that you are, were definitely kind of at least maybe at their peak or headed towards their peak uh, at this point. So uh, yeah, really good stuff. All right, and that match was actually voted match of the year for 1991. So, um, and then uh, also Dustin Rhodes in his second pay per view appearance defeated Terrence Taylor in six minutes. In six minutes, and we are big Terrence Taylor fans. So um, we are. Well, I don't know. After tonight, you guys might be giving me shit about my take. You thought my takes on Jeff Jarrett uh, this past weekend were bad. Wait till I talk about Terrence Taylor. Oh, <laughs> Probably in for deep shit. All right, so then we go through, and then Flair wins the world title back. So we'll continue on. We get another clash of the champions. Uh, Barry and uh, Pillman continue their feud. Um, it's a tag team match between Pillman and El Gigante against Wyndham and Anderson with the stipulation that if Pillman or Wyndham got pinned, the loser must leave. Pillman lost, and he goes on to a gimmick called the Yellow Dog. Uh, very original booking there, Dusty. Uh, great value midnight rider, by the way. Um, as we move on, uh, it is card. Luger and Muda fought um, in a match that you know really didn't equate to much. Uh, Dustin, once again, defeats Terry Taylor in less than five minutes. So we're 3-0 and for Dustin at this point on these big events. The main of, Oh, and the one thing I forgot to cover on Super Brawl, which was really a big moment for me, Bobby Eaton, who had traditionally been a tag team wrestler in the Midnight Express, the Midnight Express has split up six months prior to Super Brawl. Bobby Eaton won his first singles title against Arne Anderson in what many consider the moment of Super Brawl. And I know for me, it popped me big. I was a big Bobby Eaton fan, big Midnight Express fan, and to see Bobby win his first singles match for me was really amazing. So what's also pretty amazing is he wins that, and then the main event of this June clash is Bobby versus Ric Flair in a two-out-of-three falls matchup that Eaton actually uh, held his own and pinned Flair in the first fall, which was probably unheard of. In the end, Ric Flair won the match, but um, I forgot where I left off. Shifflet, have you seen this uh, clash? I can't say that I have actually. It's um, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I know it got chopped for time, but um, I I didn't. I've not seen that clash. Okay, Souza, have you seen this match I'm talking about with Eaton and Flair? I have seen it, but it's been a while. I remember it being uh, really good, but it is quick. It's like it's a two out of three yeah. falls match, and it's like 15 minutes long. So it did get chopped for time, but it's still really good for what it is. So this is this is traditionally rated as a really great match and a four star match between the two, which. Again, singles match Eaton. Eaton was on fire. He was having some really good bangers between Arn and then Flair. And to see him get a world title match, this was really cool. So I was a big fan of this. All right. So here's where shit really hits the fan. We're cruising along. Ric Flair is fired on July 1st, 1991 and stripped of the title. Uh, Jim Hurd at the time felt that there was no choice but to fire Flair and strip him because he did not want to do business. Um, at the bash where he's scheduled to do uh, uh, face Lex Luger. He was not going to renew his contract. Um, and he wanted to do the job for Barry Windham. And, and Jim Hurd said, 
fuck you, Flair, you're out. And then Flair actually keeps the world title and takes it with him to the WWF in an all-time great kind of scenario angle that at the time was unheard of, which I'll ask you guys about in a minute. So then we get switching things around. Barry Wyndham, who's a heel at the time, um, decide they're going to put him against Flair because that's really the only guy they could have done. Um, in my head, I'm thinking, well, oh, one thing that I forgot to mention. Also in June at that clash, the Steiners, um, Scott Steiner uh, got injured in a torn bicep because there's a tag team that debuted called the Hardliners of Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater, um, who both back in the day I was big fans of, but in 1991 didn't make a lot of sense. But they attacked the Steiners after their tag team match and they injured uh, Scott Steiner and Scott Steiner is now out of action. So in me, in theory, in looking at this match at J- in July, it probably would have made sense. They probably could have pushed Scott Steiner to the moon in this um, and had him kind of be the face. And I think there was talk about that. But no, we get Barry Wyndham versus uh, Lex Luger uh, in a cage match, by the way, which makes no sense whatsoever, no context whatsoever. That's it. So before I ask you about that and Flair leaving, um, there was an episode on our sister feed, uh, Place to Be Nation, on a pod called Chicken Salad. Um, Logan, I believe this is episode number one that we covered, right? Yep, it was the absolute first episode for sure, yeah. <laughs> so so for context, if you have not heard that show, that show goes back and looks to, at some of the perceived worst uh, pay-per-views of all time. Uh, this would be the one uh, you heard PN News earlier. Uh, this is where Dusty thinks PN News and Bobby Eaton in a scaffold <laughs> match against Terrence Taylor and the debut in Steve Austin at the pay-per-view. By the way, Steve Austin, um, yes, Bobby Eaton won the title back in May, TV title. Uh, he's already lost it to Steve Austin on Steve Austin's debut in June. He didn't even hold it for what I think three weeks, right? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, going on. So yeah, so a lot of shit on this show. I'm not going to go line by line. Uh, it is headlined by the world title, uh, Luger and Wyndham in a cage. And there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. We want flair. We want flair. The crowd refused to believe what was going on. Uh, the match ends with uh, Luger doing a pile driver being coached by one Harley race Luger turned teal. He is our new world champion. And to close this pay-per-view out, they main event this pay-per-view uh, with Arn Anderson, Paulie dangerously versus Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt as the main event. <laughs> so uh, first off, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the pay-per-view because we all know it's garbage and shit. And I think it's been enough said, but I would like to know the context of I'll go to Logan. What were your thoughts on flair being stripped of the title and Lex Luger as being your new world champion here in July of 91. <clears throat> um, yeah, well, the whole flair thing is bullshit. It's Jim turd as I'm going to call him throughout this podcast. If we talk about him a lot. Um, yeah, it was a bullshit bogus move by him. You know, he, he, he didn't really know a lot about the business that he was uh, in charge of, which is probably a more of a problem for upper management to that point. Um, but yeah, it's just a bogus move and, and the whole, uh, whole way that that worked out. Uh, but Lex Luger, I mean, like I said earlier, he's, he's pretty solid at this point. I think he's, uh, definitely deserving, uh, to be world champion. Um, I, I know a lot of people go back and forth with him, but I think at this point he was probably kind of close to peak of his powers or maybe winding down for peak of his powers, but he's definitely still a big, big deal. And I think it probably deserved to be on him for sure. Yeah. I, I and I agree. The problem is, so Let's go on to what the next problem in this is. So Flair goes on to the WWF with the world title. So we have a new world title belt. Um, I, I think they actually used 
trying to remember what title belt. I want to say they used the Western States title as the world title at this batch because they didn't have a mm-hmm. world title. Is that correct? It was a Western uh, States I, title. I think you're Western right. Western Heritage. Yeah, or yeah so like I'm that. sure Barry Wyndham had him up on his shelf as one of the only two champions, and he just brought it with him to the show that night. Um, <laughs> so they, he eventually gets a new world title, very different, distinguished from the big gold belt. Flair takes the big gold belt to WWF, becomes – for me, I would think next to Hall and Nash showing up on Nitro, Flair showing up on WWF is up there in terms of big moments like that. I don't think any of us would agree because um, that's a pretty big deal. Um, so anyway, we move on into August. Nothing much big happens in August. Dusty continues to push Dustin down people's throat. The great thing in this, though, as Dustin gets pushed down the throat, I think Dustin feels the pressure and he starts putting on some really good matches. Like for me, one of the best matches at that July Bash was the six man with the Freebirds and him and the Young Pistols. Because Dustin really, really carried that match, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I think Dustin, even though he's getting stuck and shoved in our face, he's actually getting better because of it. So there is a positive to the negative. All right, so let's go to where we're leading here. So we get through September, um, and a lot of non-stuff happens. The biggest thing that happens is the Steiners are stripped of the tag team titles because they're injured. They hold a tournament um, with some teams that are really freaking just, I mean, Fucking Bill Kazmaier and Rick Steiner. <laughs> I mean, that, that, they're in this tournament. I don't remember who else it is. But the other team that's interesting that's in this, and you would think automatically if the hardliners took them out, the hardliners would be in a tournament and they would win the tournament. I believe they lost um, because they went to a double DQ or something with the Freebirds. It was one of those scenarios. But the interesting team that formed here becomes a big part of our podcast, and that is the team of the enforcers, Arn, and, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. And they enter this tournament, and at the time, um, I was like, you know, this is kind of cool because Arn didn't really have anything going on. Larry didn't really have anything going on. And putting these two guys together, I don't know about you guys in context and going back and seeing it. I was there why it was happening. When I saw that tag team tournament, I said, oh, yeah, there's no fucking way anyone but these guys are winning the tournament once the hardliners are out. So, um, Matt, any thought on the enforcers and Larry and Arn maybe at the time being – formulated in retrospect i know you didn't see it live but any thoughts on this as we get into it i mean it it seemed like at the time they had a void of tag teams really like a really good tag teams like there was a lot of like middling tag teams and uh, as we'll talk about later during this episode shit tag teams but uh yeah it it makes perfect sense to put arn and larry together especially if they weren't doing anything and in theory they should have won but hey look (laughs) you know yes all right, so so here we are, so, and they wouldn't have, so we're go to the clash that's in September before we get to the show we're about to talk about that kicks off our official pod journey. Uh, it's a very bad clash. The main event of the show is Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco defeating Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier for the big mm. <laughs> hit world tag team titles. In Unless, like a two-minute match. Yes, in like a two-minute match. So Dusty, a full-board book in here. Uh, the other thing, you know, we got some things happening. So Cactus Jack has debuted at this point. The return of one Abdullah the Butcher. I know when I think the 90s wrestler for WCW, I know I think uh, Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cactus Jack was a good signing, led to some good things there, um, which kind of his whole gimmick was uh, this whole gift box gimmick that was going on with Sting, which we'll see play out over our podcast history. Uh, but yeah, a really shitty uh, pay-per-view. Uh, I'm sorry, class where Lex actually doesn't really do a whole lot except take a few swipes and sting. So in that, Luger, decide, or Ron Simmons, decides to get pushed to the moon by Dusty. Um, you know, 
as an African American, they haven't had that as the face, you know. So they make him the top face, and so there's a whole thing in there. There's actually a lot of semi-racist comments by Luger that build to this at the contract signing that were a little uncomfortable, and the match is signed uh, for a two out of three falls match um, at uh, Halloween Havoc 1991. Um, so here we are, gentlemen. This is where we officially kick off our journey. Because for many, this is what they consider the official launch of the Dangerous Alliance. So before we jump into this pay-per-view, any fi- I'm going to go around the horn really quick to each of you. Uh, Logan, any final thoughts on uh, WCW 1991 up to this point? Um, you know, I think I think they're kind of a mess a little bit. You know, a lot, a lot of stuff happened between, you know, Starcade and now. Um, I think there's some good stuff in there, obviously, that we've kind of talked about already. Um, but, you know, the whole management with, uh, you know, Jim Hurd being kind of the head guy uh, and Dusty kind of just running rough shot and completely changing things kind of in the beginning of the year uh, with all the changing in the booking committee and all that. I think it's a little bit jumbled in the, you know, head office and the creative side of things. Um, I think the in-ring stuff is still pretty good. Uh, some of it's really bad, uh, especially that Great American Bash show. Um, but uh yeah, I, I think it's kind of a little bit of a mess, but the in-ring stuff is still uh, still pretty good at this point. All right, uh, Scott, any thoughts of what our recap just endured getting up to this? <laughs> um, like Logan said, it was a year of transition. I mean, when you lose your biggest star, I mean, hell, the, the famous story is Ted Turner wouldn't even have bought um, JCP if it wasn't for Flair being involved. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing. Um. You know, and going back to like Luger winning the title, I really think he would have beat Flair for that title, but it made people in many fans' eyes not a legitimate champ because he never beat Flair. That would haunt him for the rest of his career. And what's interesting is Flair, I mean, flat out refused the job to him at many death for pay-per-views. And it's really weird because those guys had some banger matches. Some of the, you know, him and Luger had some amazing, amazing matches. I think for me, maybe I was at the Bash 88. Um, match they had. I was actually a Capital Combat 90. Um, for me, I think they're my favorite match that they had because Sting got injured and Luger pulled in the pinch. That WrestleWar 90 match for me is probably one of my favorites. But Souza, uh, any thoughts, final thoughts on WCW 1991 before we get to this October? Well, f- first of all, if I was Ric Flair, I wouldn't want to lose to Lex Luger either, but that's a story for another day. Okay, uh, but, okay <laughs> but Lex Luger at this time was... This is during Luger's time there where he was actually good before he went to shit. I know, I know. It yeah. was a joke, but we are at the downturn. Anyway. We are, uh, yes. We are going to talk about that <laughs> as we go to, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh, not much more to add. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. You're still getting good stuff in ring in 91. You know, obviously there's bad too, but you are still getting like as far as main events go, the main events are mostly still pretty good, but behind the scenes, WCW at this point is a gigantic fucking mess and it's starting to creep onto TV too. So we'll see. Hopefully this pulls them out of the dreck. All right. So let's kick it off officially. So Halloween Havoc 1991. So before, before we, so we're going to really take a look at this show in terms of the context of where our future dangerous Alliance members are at. We're going to talk about the matches we're in, talk about the matches. Um, Just so you guys know, um, every match we talk about on this podcast that involved the Dangerous Alliance members, we are going to rate. Uh, we'll all give our rankings, and Logan is going to keep track of that, and we're going to keep, keep and have the average, and we're going to keep track of every single match. I'm calling them Logan Analytics. So, Logan, I appreciate you mm-hmm, picking that mm-hmm. up. Um, and then we'll have some kind of type of awards um, at the end of the show, which we'll tell you about when we get to the end of the show. So, would you like me to run down the other things on this card for you so we can laugh at the shit before we jump into our part of it? <laughs> 
Yes, right. because I've watched this show so many times, and it's Halloween Havoc and Starcade '91 are like. I I really think comfort this, blankets for me. I really think there is aspects of this that deserve a chicken salad. I think we did do this on chicken salad, did we, Logan? Uh, no, we did not. Okay, I do. I think it deserves a watch. Uh, but that's me. So I know that if I'm booking a pay per view, I'm gonna take three of my biggest stars and Sting and Rick Steiner and the Steiner brothers. Um, and put El Gigante, who is the ghost awful creature, and I'm going to put him in a match against Abdullah the Butcher, uh, the Diamond Stud, who is the future uh, Razor Ramon, Cactus Jack, and Big Van Vader, who, you know, at the time was a relative unknown. He was kind of starting to gain a little bit. But, hey, you know what? Let's have them open the match in a Chamber of Horrors match where to and win the match, you have to put the loser in the electric chair and electrocute them. Um Kind of an all-time stinker here, but also in many circles considered a great moment in WCW history. Uh, the ending comes when, uh, yeah, we uh, dropped the lever, which couldn't stay up to save its life and dropped numerous times, and we electrocute uh, Abdullah the Butcher. So I think that I'm going to move on from that. Uh, another match, which uh, Big Josh, who was the reformed uh, maniac Matt Bourne, who went on to be the greatest incartation of, uh, or whatever the word is, uh, a doink that I remember because I absolutely love Matt Bourne in um, World Class. Uh, him being Big Josh was an embarrassment, but he's a great wrestler. Um, he would go on to be Doink, who I think is still one of the greatest underrated heels of all time that didn't get to where it goes because um, Matt Bourne also had drug issues. But he teams up with the aforementioned PN News against the <laughs> the Creatures 1 and 2. Um, real pay-per-view quality there. Uh, let's see. We had uh, Jimmy Johnny B. Bad against a Jimmy Garvin. Um, moving on, uh, Bill Ka- oh. <laughs> Look at Bill Kazmaier versus Haas. Van Hammer defeated uh, Doug Summers. Flying Brian Pillman defeated uh, Richard Morton uh, of the York Foundation, the reformed Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express for the first WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. And Lex Luger defeated... Ron Simmons in a two out of three fall match to rate to retain the world heavyweight title. So those are the other matches on the card that we aren't covering. Uh, before I go into our part, would you guys like, uh, I'll go around the horn. Susan, anything you would like to say about the matches I read off to you? Look, uh, chamber of horrors is bad, but I love watching it cause it's so fucking absurd. It's, it's completely ridiculous and I love it. Uh, that light heavyweight title match actually isn't awful. I mean, it has the weird thing of Ricky Morton being a heel, but the match itself actually isn't bad. And, uh, I, I kind of hate the main event of the show, to be perfectly honest. I think it's just, it's, it's like 25 minutes long and it's just a boring fucking slog. So yeah, that's all, that's all I got. One thousand percent. Uh, Logan, any thoughts on those matches that I ran down? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm glad Matt said the same thing about the Chamber of Horrors that I'm about to say. But yeah, it's like it's like so bad that it's entertainingly good somehow. Uh, I, I, it's just an absolute absurd collection of people and a, just a weird, crazy, stupid match. But I, I enjoy it every time I watch it uh, just because of the insanity of it all. Um, I do think that light heavyweight championship match is pretty good. But yeah, like Matt said. Uh, Morton kind of being a heel is weird, of course. And, uh, yeah, the main event match is pretty disappointing considering uh, the the two combatants, I'd say. All right. And last but certainly not least, Schiff, any comments on the other matches before we cover the ones we're covering tonight? 
uh, three for three for the Chamber of Horrors match. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. It's it's uh, but you know exactly. what? Exactly. But you can't stop watching it. I would. We'll go four for four because you can't stop watching it once you get it on. It's crazy. The referee I cam Cactus Jack waiting five minutes for Rick and Abdullah to swap <laughs> spots. I, I just love every spot of it. And then they open up caskets and they have like they look like uh, Power Ranger, like the um, like the the. I think they're called the gum, the gummy. Like remember, mm-hmm. like the pur- yeah, the putty guys. Yeah, the putty guys coming out and they just get their ass beat. What's not to love? But like this also shows like the CF that 1991 WCW was because, like you said, Sean, you just named off so many wrestlers. Yes, Cactus Jack blew up later. Yes, Fader was used greatly in like two years from WCW. But you have your franchise Sting in this match. You have the Steiner brothers, which is your cornerstone tag team, and they're just mucking around here. It, it, it's absurd like i know they were trying to be like oh maybe we'll do like the chamber of horrors like yearly but like it's sadly never been done again it should have been done during the pandemic era i would have lost my mind if they were going to have a chamber of horrors match in AEW. but I, I i can't get enough of that match like when you get send us the match list to watch i i said i I'm like, I'm going to watch it. And then I was like, commenting about it. And you're like, I knew you were going to watch it. Like, Of course. I knew you guys were going to watch it because I know my audience in terms of who the partners are in this show. I knew it. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, overall, I mean, a couple good matches on it. And, you know, we're going to talk about the rest. And all of these involve members who will be, when we get there, members of the Dangerous Alliance. So, um, the other thing that they were touting for this show was the debut of the Mystery of the Phantom. So initially when I was watching this, I'm like, oh, well, great. Let's just go back to the black fucking Scorpion we did less than a year ago. And that was really my initial context of it when we were live doing this. Um, But yeah, so let's jump right into it. So to open the show, um, it opens immediately with JR and Tony and JR, you know, really talking about the excitement in the air the early afternoon. And um, Tony mentions that Barry Wynn was attacked in the parking lot as he arrived and he will not be able to compete tonight. Uh, Then we go outside and cut to... uh, just douchey Eric Bischoff, um, who's talking about the pay-per-view, and he's greeting people as they arrive. Uh, really, like, pristine Ken Barbie doll uh, Eric Bischoff at this time. Just very fake, very just, you know, very salesman-ish, which if anybody watched a, uh, AWA it, before it went out of business, is very on-brand. This is Eric Bischoff AWA. This is pretty pretty bad. So the first people up that arrive are Cactus Jack and Adula. Um, and Adula is dressed as an extra in the office, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> uh, then DDP and Hall pull up and add absolutely nothing. Then Wyndham and Rhodes pull up in a red convertible uh, top with the top down. Wyndham is wearing shades like he is hot shit. Like they, I had these two guys pull up like they're the hottest gifted women. The parking attendant um, in his chauffeur hat opens the door. And I'm sure they hired some random parking lot guy to be the chauffeur. He opens the door and Barry extends his hand to Eric and they shake. And literally, there's a moment there where you can tell they're pausing, waiting for what happens. R and Larry run in and push Eric and the tenant out of the way, and they slam Wyndham's hand in the car door, then run off as Dustin chases them, and Barry cries in agony. Dustin shows Barry, uh, shows Barry to the other end of the car and drives him to the hospital as Eric tried to act as uh, he's really bad at acting like he's concerned. Um, I would tell you I was very entertained uh, by this whole segment of the whole thing of the ridiculousness of Bischoff the parking attendant, Abdullah, the way he was dressed, um, but really kind of a cool angle to kick it off with Barry's hand. I thought that was good, and I thought we were off hot and running. So 
Smith, I'll go to you first. What did you think about this opening? Yes, it was corny as hell, but God, I loved every second of that. I loved how they set it up. They didn't do like Wyndham and um and and Dustin showing up first. They had like the other people to like set the stage. And I just love like it's so different from what we're used to. And that's like I guess what something that I really loved about WCW because sorry, I grew up watching WCW. WCW is my number one. So like you know, this is all in my wheelhouse right now. And I just love Larry and Arm breaking um, Barry's arm because Barry looked like the coolest person ever. Yes, he was probably worried about his dad and brother going to jail for money laundering, but not at that moment. I And it just set the stage like, oh, my goodness, like Larry and Arn are some dastardly heels. I, I can't get enough of it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I did too. And um, Wyndham is one of my all-time favorites. Like if I actually participated in any of the PTBN lists, uh, the greatest WCW wrestler for me wouldn't would have been an easy top five for me. And so um, I thought it was kind of cool. And his history with Zabisco, um, going back to the late 80s, where, again, we brought up the Western States title. Zary Zabisco and Wyndham are the only two that have ever held that title. And Zabisco beat Wyndham for that in 88. So it's kind of a cool kind of throwback moment for me as a child remembering their feud. Uh, Logan, what did you think of this opening? Oh, I thought it was great. I've always loved the 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 assaults in the parking lot that happened early in shows like this. Um, but like slamming the hand in the in the door is really effective way to kind of take out Barry for a little bit. And now I just really want to see Abdullah the Butcher in the office. I want them to make <laughs> make an episode and throw Abdullah in there somehow. You know, that might be my most pleasant surprise and all that. I really wanted kind of a I wanted to see more of Abdullah in the office gear because that popped right. me big time, but. This gimmick was fantastic, what they did with Wyndham, and I really appreciated how they opened the show. Uh, Souza, how about you? How'd you feel about this? I assume we're four for four on this. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is great stuff. It's a great way to kick off uh, the the Dangerous Alliance uh, stuff here. I mean, uh, the way Wyndham sells that hand was fantastic. Like, I, I don't know how they filmed it, but it looked brutal. Like, yeah. It's just so great. And uh, yeah, Cactus and Abdullah rolling up in a fucking town car just destroyed me. And <laughs> yeah, uh, Ab- Abdullah looking like uh, an extra in office space. I think he keeps his. Uh, That's I think what I meant. Keeps... I meant like the guy in office space with <laughs> right. the glasses. The gla- who's the always guy. looking for the. Who's, yes, who's protective of the stapler. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that guy. That's who he like, reminds me of. Yeah. He keeps his business cards and his forehead scars. But yeah, it's just. It's a, it's a great segment. All right, so we'll go into our ma- our first match with our future Dangerous Alignment, uh, Dangerous Alliance member. It is Bobby Eaton taking on Terrence Taylor, who um, any show, pod, any of us have been on, um, highlight to the Impact Zone, we shit on him as an interview interviewer. Mm-hmm. On Crock and Roll, we shit on him as a wrestler. So mm-hmm. let's see how this goes for us, because our theme for Terrence Taylor is he's kind of butt. Um, so <laughs> so uh, both of them are in the top ten. Um, announcers like are talking up the technical skills of them, and they call it the five arm versus the Alabama Jam. And Bobby, uh, again, we already talked about how great he was in '91 in his singles run. Uh, Terry Taylor had become a computerized man of the '90s at this point. Um, you guys might not remember this, but I do because they gave Mike Rotundo the Mike uh, Michael Wall Street gimmick, and he mm-hmm. was actually the computerized man of the '90s. Well, then he bailed to go be IRS at the WWF and have a better career. Um, the other York Foundation members at the time were <laughs> Richard Morton and Thomas Rich. So they are really going back in time to formulate the stable, <laughs> a stable that's supposed to be the future, which pops me immediately. And of course, Alexander York, the future Mrs. Dustin Rhodes at this point, the uh, future Marlena and future girlfriend of uh, uh, one new Jack, which 
you know, that didn't go very well. So yeah, a lot of history. It's kind of cool to go back and see the history of some of these folks actually really good. Um, you know, I, here's the thing. I liked Eaton, had multiple arm drags and clotheslines. Um, I really liked Bobby's arm work on Taylor. Bobby slamming Taylor um, off of the walkway and then dropping the top rope knee I thought looked great. Um, I don't necessarily think Taylor sold enough with all this stuff, but Bobby thought was really good selling the knee to the back um, when he went into the railing outside off the apron, which I thought was really well done. Uh, Taylor and York, York meeting up with the laptop box that was supposed to be a computer, but really what it was was a box that they had made to look like a computer. It looked nothing like a laptop, which was the most ridiculous thing I ever seen. I thought Taylor hit a nice gut wrench into a power bomb on the rampway, which looked absolutely savage. I thought Bobby was really, really good as a face apparel, and no doubt probably the best shape of his career because usually he's one of those that have the man pouch. Um, he is in great shape here. Um, he blocks a superplex and he hits an absolutely fantastic Alabama jam for the three. Here's where my shit take might come in. This was really good for me, regardless of Taylor's stigma. I think Bobby Eaton is freaking awesome. And if you like pure wrestling matches, um, like me, who kind of likes that wrestling style, you were really happy. I actually went 3.25 stars on this. And this match actually went um, almost 20 minutes. So, Schiff, I'll go to you first. What'd you think of this match? Um, yeah, as you, you said, like, the one, one thing I said I liked from the beginning was JR saying that Bobby Eaton is ranked number seven. I really like that. Like, it, it adds value to, like, this match that made on paper appears to be nothing. But, like, if you're like, Bobby Eaton is eight and Terry Taylor is seven or, you know, vice versa, you know, the winner will jump up one in the rankings. I love that. As you mentioned, there was a nice that was a nice gut wrench power bomb on the ramp, um, and then Bobby had a, a solid right hand to Terry Taylor that was awesome, and um, I love the sunset flip from the top rope. We don't see that a lot, mm-hmm. and like the Alabama jam, I went I went three and a quarter as well. I was shocked at this, Sean, and I swear I'm not like trying to suck up or something because we, we will probably have our problems later this episode. But yeah, <laughs> three and a quarter. Yeah, me giving Terrence, listen, it seems wrong to give Terrence Taylor 3.25 stars, but hey, uh, I'll give you guys a hint. This will not be the first Terrence Taylor match in the future that I will give a good rating to. So just be prepared for that. Uh, but yeah, this this was really good. Susan, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not that far off from you guys. I went uh, two and three quarter on it. It's it's a perfectly solid match. My biggest problem with it is it's a very long match. It's like almost 20 minutes, like you said. And I never want to see Terry Taylor do anything for more than, let's say, 10 minutes. So there was that. And I mean, look, Bobby Eaton was very good during this match, but... I don't know. There were parts of it, particularly when Taylor was controlling the match, that I thought it was just kind of boring and slow to a crawl, which is the Terry Taylor experience. So it makes perfect sense. But yeah, I I thought Bobby looked great here. He was throwing out some great moves on the ramp. And yeah, he's just it turns out Bobby is a great wrestler. Who the hell knew? But yeah, uh, who knew? I had no idea Bobby was great. I had no idea. (laughs) The, the the only other note I'll say is, uh, what the fuck was Gary Michael Capetta wearing <laughs> during this? He, he looked like Sergeant Pepper, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, perfectly fine wrestling match here. So I'm not that far off with from you guys. So it, uh, it's it's I, I don't even think I would call it a shit take, Sean. How about that? So I All went right, well, two, well, I went two and three quarter. Well, don't worry. I'll have plenty on this on this. I know that's that's journey. why we don't we don't want to burn it this early because yeah, I know yeah. there's one. I know there's one coming. So yeah, we got we got 20 episodes of this. podcast. <laughs> we got plenty to come. Uh, Logan, I assume you're keeping track of the Loganomics as we go through this match. But what was what was your ta- what was your take on this one? 
I am, and uh, to answer uh, Matt's comments about uh, Gary Michael Capetta's outfit, my mother bought me this outfit <laughs> for my birthday. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Logan, that's a very good Michael Capetta. That is, very, that very, is very, well very good. Very well done. Very well done. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, but I, I'm kind of in line with y'all guys. I went three. Um, I went a bit lower than y'all two and a little bit higher than Matt. Um, I thought it was an interesting matchup of a guy I absolutely hate in Taylor and a guy I absolutely love in Bobby Eaton. So that kind of fits what we were what you were talking about before the match. Um, I think Taylor really effectively frustrates Eaton early in the match, but once Eaton kind of gets a hold of him, he really is able to take out his frustrations on him. Um, a good arm work by Eaton throughout the match. Uh, there's a slam and a top rope knee on the ramp that sounded pretty nasty. Made a pretty good thud. Um, Taylor's able to evade some attacks, and he actually injures Bobby's back, as we kind of talked about. Um, the gut wrench on the ramp, uh, as we all have mentioned, is pretty much probably the coolest thing Terry Taylor's ever done in his life. So <laughs> that was really awesome. Uh, but he then, ruins, he then ruins it by blocking in some really boring-ass next submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the late match stretch of the match was really hot, and I love me some some Alabama jam. So, uh, like I said, I went three, and I, I enjoyed it more than I really thought I would. All right. So, Logan, do you have the average on that one for us at this point or no? You need some that time? would be 3.06, my friend. All right. So, we're off to a pretty decent start match-wise. But yeah, And by the with the Eaton, too, man, how he did the Alabama jam for all these years and still make it look the way it did, I mean, it's a prize. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that his – I don't know, man. I mean, that just looks like it would kill you doing that for years and years and years and make you crippled. But goddamn, he's good. Um, all right. Our next match uh, uh, with a member of the future Dangerous Alliance is the TV champion, um, Stunning Steve Austin versus uh, the very much being pushed uh, natural Dustin Rhodes. And unfortunately, we do not. He does not have a natural theme at this point, Logan. So we, I don't know if we'll have a lot of opportunities to do the theme because he's not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so before we go to the match, Missy Hyatt, who I related dressed up to as a 1920s mob prostitute, uh, is looking for the WCW Halloween Phantom. And this is this might be underrated. My greatest uh, greatest moment of the night. Eaton walks by randomly just holding a pumpkin um, and Missy grabs him, whining, uh, whining, asking him, where's the Phantom? Uh, Bobby, who clearly is not the actor type. Acts very annoyed, and uh, Matt, could you kind of symbolize what he might say to Miss uh, say to her? <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to celebrate my win with a pumpkin, baby. <laughs> uh, and then, not only does he bubble that, but then he says something about Dorothy, and I have no idea who Dorothy <laughs> was. I thought it maybe was a Wizard of Oz thing, but this was absolutely amazing for the wrong reason. It's kind of like watching the Chambers of Horror match because you can't not look away. I think I rewatched this part like at least 10 times. Um, Why does he have a pumpkin? I don't know. Um, so um, as Missy Wines, he looks at the camera with his pumpkin and literally just says, uh, Matt, I believe he says women, but would you like to say it like Bobby Eaton? Women. <laughs> anyway, we can talk about that. We cut to the ring for the match. Um, Austin, who at the time is still coming up with, with Lady Blossom, who uh, he stole from gentleman Chris Adams, who was his wife, Jeannie Adams, um, who decided to go with the young, better-looking Austin uh, and who could really blame her. Um, and again, if you think about it, Austin had a debut in World Class, and his debut here was so weird. He is very much a rookie here still. I think he debuted in 89, um, and he won a TV title, like I said, literally right away from Eaton in June, um, and Eaton didn't get a really good title run with it, and that's unfortunate. But Dustin... 
had really been on that steady uphill roll that we've talked about. By the way, this might actually shock you guys. Did you know at this point in his run, he debuted in February, you know Dustin is undefeated up to this point. That makes perfect sense given who the booker is. <laughs> yep, 100%. <laughs> he is 100% undefeated here. And since February, he is already number five in the top five, and Austin is the number four. So you have the number four and number five in this. I think the announcers do a really good job talking up both men. JR and Tony are really good together. I really like the commentary on this show, by the way. Uh, there are some so slow spots, like Dustin has a headlock on Austin. Uh, Dustin eats some shit on a body press and flies to the outside, which I thought looked really visually good. Uh, Dustin gets busted open from Austin punches, and he's absolutely bloody mess because he's a Rhodes. A Rhodes must bleed. Um, Austin is good on the offense. Dustin is really good trying to fight him back. He gets a few false pins between the two. Uh, Blossom slaps Dustin around, which I thought I really enjoyed as well because um, as Dustin continues to make a comeback, Austin's busted open two at one point as he gets ahead to the post shot. Um, and, and again, we have about two and a half minutes to go in the time limit. Uh, the last two minutes were a lot of fun, I thought. Dustin trying to beat the clock and beating the shit out of Austin. Uh, Dustin hits a top row clothesline as time runs out for the 15-minute draw. Um, I thought this was another really good wrestling match and really uh, a peek at how great these two would be one day. Um, I really think Dustin especially, um, with the journey he's been on and with the thought that Dusty was just shoving his son down his throat, this might be the first time where you really watch the match and say the kid stood on his own. And Austin... He is just so fucking good for someone that's been in the business less than a year and a half. Um, not necessarily sure the blood was warranted, um, as this was not really a blood feud at the time, uh, but it did add to the intensity and the constant reference to the 15-minute time limit throughout the whole match was obvious. It made the outcome obvious, but I still went 3.25 stars on this match. I really, really enjoyed this match. Logan, what did you think? Um, I, I honestly really enjoyed it. These two guys have a ton of chemistry, uh, as we'll see going forward. Um, I, my first note is good God, Lady Blossom, as she had a uh, dress <laughs> that was uh, quite revealing, I'll say. Mm. Uh, that's probably the most uh, tasteful way I could put it. Um, but it, it had good fast pace action back and forth early. Uh, there was a pretty good uh, flying lariat that Dustin did at one point. I just think this is a really good match as they're constantly going back and forth. I felt like nobody really dominated significant portions of the match. It just seemed like any time Dustin was getting some momentum, Austin would kind of squash it and then the same way back and forth. Um, they go to the outside at one point. Austin really bludgeons Rhodes. I think he runs him into the railing, into the mat quite a few times, maybe into the steps for a minute or two. Um, uh, lots of brutal strikes, big time clotheslines back and forth from both guys. Uh, I really like this one, uh, but it never really felt like one guy was really going for the win. So the draw wasn't entirely hard to see coming, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like you said. But I went three and a half. I really liked it. I like these two guys' chemistry, and I, I really like a lot of what they do uh, going forward. Hey, hey, do me a favor. Could you move me to three and a half on this one, too? Because I can't have Terrence Taylor beat this match. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> All right, um, I'll go three and a half on it, too. Because as I read through as I read through what I was saying and thinking about the match, it really was great. Uh, Schiff, how'd you feel about this one? Y yes, you guys said, um, I, I really enjoyed this match. Um Dustin looked really good for just like you know being relatively green in the business. So so was Austin. Like, and it shows how great their chemistry was, as you guys. By the way, Dustin's not really green. He debuted in September of 1988. Oh yes, the uh, the the Texas Broncos with Kendall yes. Wynn as his tag team partner. Yes. And um, 
there was a part in the match where Dustin went for a bulldog and uh, Austin blocked it, and I thought that was very good. And then Austin was just laying in his punches because I, um, and it shows how good his punches are, which you know really isn't talked about how good his punches are. But he talked about on his podcast when he had it that he had a string taped to a um, a tennis ball, and like he would just be in his apartment like hitting the hitting the tennis ball until it didn't move. So that shows how good his um, his punches are. But um, I I didn't like the uh, the time limit draw, and that, that's what took away from it. Um, I did like both of them bleeding, but I just went three stars for this. Okay, and that's fair, Souza. Uh, I am right in between you guys. I went three and a quarter on this. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of TV title matches of this era were worked this way, where yes. it start starts out super slow and then it picks up for like the last three four five minutes or so like that that's a very common trope for wcw since, at this since, point since 1985 right. i will tell you it's been that way in nwa wcw at this point yep right and i mean it's it's a formula that works right because mm-hmm. you can it, it's 15 minutes so i mean you can get away with doing that and i i thought the last five minutes of this match were really well done uh, just great back and forth stuff like you i kind of thought the blood was a little bit weird it didn't the feud or if there even was one didn't really <laughs> necessarily call for blood but i mean i i guess it added to it a little bit uh, the one thing that drove me fucking insane about this match and it, this might very well be a me problem but every time Dustin was going for a cover, he was slapping his hands to the mat every time the referee was doing it. And it was driving me fucking crazy. Stop doing that. <laughs> oh, God, that drove me nuts. But uh, perhaps that was a me problem. But, uh, yeah, I thought this was a really good TV title match. So three and a quarter for me. All right. I think we identified a Sousa-ism and Dustin Rhodes. <laughs> That's what I would call it. Uh, so uh, where do we land on that one as overall, Logan? Uh, 3.31. All right, so that's our match. So that defeats the other one. So again, two really good back-to-back matches so far. So, but don't worry, we have one more match to cover tonight that we'll uh, we'll sit the bet on. So we'll cover that one last. Uh, so next we go to um, what we've all been waiting for on this show that they've been hyping up is the WCW Phantom debut, and he is taking on uh, the sexiest man alive in WCW, one Tom Zank. So um, we talked a little bit about earlier when he was TV champion. Zink at this point had a really good run in WCW. Um, he came over in 1990. He had won the U.S. Tag Team titles with Brian Pillman. And as we talked about, he was already a former TV champion. Um, and at this point, he was putting on pretty good matches. Um, but mainly, at this, he, he was starting to come in. Now he was starting to be mainly used as an enhancement talent. Um, so it seems like uh, the Z-Man's uh, best days were behind him. So... By the way, you want to talk about things that drive you nuts? You want to know a Seanism? The goddamn Zink, yeah, yeah, yeah theme was the absolute <laughs> shit. And I absolutely cringe every time I hear it. And unfortunately, we're going to hear it a lot on this show. But that has got to be one of the worst all-time schlocky freaking bullshit themes I've ever heard in my life. Like, what does yeah, yeah, yeah have to do with Z-Man? Anyway, um, the Phantom comes out to organize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh uh, anyway, hey, by the way, uh, you could probably end this episode with the Z-Man theme music if you wanted to, Susa. That'd probably be pretty funny. Uh, but it, but anyway, uh, he comes out. Uh, the Phantom comes out um, to organ music. Um, he's hiding behind the cape. When he took off the cape and attacked Zinc, uh, to me, it looked like his outfit was very similar and reused from the Black Scorpion gimmick. So I don't know if they pulled that out of hiding. Um, Phantom uh, beats the hell out of uh, beats the hell out of Zinc. Um, honestly, I had no idea who at the time this was because. Honestly, guys, Rude had been MIA and mainstream for a bit since leaving WWE in 1990. So I think mm-hmm. he might have had a stint in Japan, but for the most part, no one saw him. So 
for me to even consider that he would be an option in this was even not even in my head at the time. Um, and then he hit the rude awakening for three. Um, and again, that's where at the time I'm like, oh, and then the mask kid roots face pretty well, actually. And then Tony kind of gives the fucking thing away, calling the move. <laughs> oh, that used to be the move, the rude awakening we used to see from one Rick Root. So the dumbass kind of gives it away. Kind of like <laughs> it's kind of one of those moments like Heenan at Bash at the Beach 96. Oh, what side is he on? You know, yeah. and it kind of blew it for you, right? Um, I also didn't think the crowd knew who this was either. Um, I'm not rating the match because to me, this is more of an angle to get the Phantom thing over, but it kind of worked because as again, the crowd didn't really seem to know who it was, which actually I thought would make what we talk about later, a, a little bit later work. So, um, uh, uh, Schiff, I'll go to you first. What did you think about, I don't have to rank the match. The match is obviously what it is. What did you think of how this came off? I thought it came off very well and I didn't, take that Tony straight out blew it. I just thought he hinted at it more than anything because it makes sense because Tony had been in the WWF. But I will tell before. you at the time it did blow it for me because okay. if you were there in the moment of time and realized what a big deal the rude awakening was and him to point that out, nobody else was doing that move anywhere. So it was kind of a big deal at the time. That's why I said that, but yeah, go ahead. But, but I do agree with you that the mask hit his face and hit his, uh, signature mustache as well and uh Susan, i'm sure you're getting deja vu of seeing uh getting used to seeing rick rude and a mask <laughs> right <laughs> jesus christ yeah that's true because they would go on to do that in ecw as well so mm-hmm. cheap plug for uh three-way dance all right Susan, what'd you think yeah, I mean, the, the match was like a minute long, not much here. Uh, I, I will say, minus the, the Rude Awakening, uh, the, the Rick Rude did kind of hide that he was Rick Rude pretty well, I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, better, minus... better than Flair at uh, well, Stark 90 so. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I do have uh, uh, some issues with this, which I will get into when we talk about uh, the other segment involving the Halloween Phantom. But uh, for now, as is at this point, I thought this was uh, perfectly fine for what it was. I thought Rude did a pretty good job uh, masking himself and not revealing that it was in fact him. So, Okay. And finally, uh, Logan, what did you think of this whole thing? I have to disagree slightly with all of y'all. I feel like the trademark mustache was poking out pretty significantly, and I I, I think I probably could have told you that it was Rick uh, Rick Rude at the time. Interesting. Okay. Um, but that okay. Is, well, uh, hey, but what what if what what if in context, and this is what I'm saying is, what if he had been off mainstream television for almost two years? Would have you yeah, been I mean, able to still do it? You think? Um, that might have thrown me off a little bit. Okay. Um, but I, I do, I will agree. He did change his move set up a pretty good bit, uh, to kind of hide the fact that he wasn't uh, Rick Rude or obviously Rick Rude until he did the Rude Awakening. And then I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's got to be him. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like the mustache was sticking out enough to where I was like, ah oh, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty easily rude. Um, but yeah, he did, he did do a good job changing his move set up. I will say that for sure. All right, so yeah, so pretty good debut here. We still don't know who the Phantom is, and um, that is coming up a little bit later, um, which I think we'll talk about. But again, I think it came off well. So for context, I mean, pay-per-view aside, if you think about the matches we've watched with the members, uh, the Phantom debut, I think so far so good on the actual Dangerous Alliance kind of build buildup, I think has been really good. Um, I don't know if this one's going to hold up as well either. So then we transition to a match. <laughs> um, it is the Enforcers. Versus the Patriots for the WCW Tag Team titles. Um, okay, so the Patriots were a joke. Um, 
as Commando Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip, basically what they were were rebooted jobbers uh, who basically became this team, and they are the actual U.S. Tag Team Champions, which, by the way, at this time is 100% a title they should have killed sooner because its glory days were really long gone at this point. Like, literally, um, when before they had the tournament, when it was vacant, they should never have brought it back in Super Bowl. They should have just let it die because uh, to have these two freaking idiots as champions in this gimmick is embarrassing and an absolute disgrace to someone like me who actually the U.S. Tag Team titles is one of his favorite looking belts of all time with some pretty good lineage. And these two motherfuckers, excuse my language, uh, really shit all over the legacy. And it's also really eye-opening in this that what does it tell you about the tag team division that the Patriots are U.S. Tag Team Champions? They're the number one contenders taking on your world tag team champions. And Sousa said it earlier, or someone said it earlier, Man, your tag team scene here was really shit. And this just kind of reinforces it a little bit that, man, we got to do something different because this is bad. Um, I did love the enforcers as champ, I, champs. I thought, for me, they really helped bridge the Steiner gap a bit. But the problem is they only had shit to work with. Um, I also feel that these two together, like I said earlier, made a lot of sense. I like the announcers talking up the reason they attacked Wyndham uh, because of the noise about he and Dustin going after the tag team titles. So I thought that was really cool. They gave an explanation as to why they were attacked. Um, Arn and Larry are still wearing their singles runs tights, so they haven't come together on their tights being kind of <coughs> together. They're still wearing their separate ones. Um, apparently, and then they talk about, oh, and by the way, at this time, I also forgot, and maybe in context, he always had it. I forgot about the giant Z that Larry always had on his ass. <laughs> like, literally, it just stands out like, Imagine being a wrestler, and just because your last name's Zabisco, I'm going to put a giant Z on my ass. I just, I don't know. I thought that popped me a little bit. Um, there's not a lot of highlights here. Champion him in a double clothesline. Um, they talk about the Young Pistols, apparently one in the U.S. tag team title shot that no one gives a shit about. Um, I did like the karate spin kick to gut by Larry. Um, the heel work is good as expected. Uh, both Patriots have been around a while at this point as enhancement talent, but they're so green. Uh, probably at this point for me, this match is about being way out of their league. Uh, and Champion actually debuts in 1986, so he's been around a while, but he's still just god-awful. Um, Champion gets what I call the not-hot tag, uh, including a power slam that he struggled to hit. I like the end uh, where Chip runs into Larry, knocking Larry out of the ring, and Chip bounces into Arn Spinebuster for three. I thought that was a really cool finish, how that worked out. The match was absolutely shit, but I thought the finish was pretty damn cool. Um, I went 1.25 on this. The other thing I will say, uh, which will become a running theme on this pod, is Larry Zabisco uh, noises, sounds, <laughs> verbal cues, what he says to people are going to probably pop me more than anything he could do in a fucking wrestling match. Uh, Sousa, I will go to you on this match first. <laughs> Boy, did this suck. It's good, so bad. Good God. Uh, the, the fucking Patriots are useless. Good. Uh, like, what do they do well? Uh, I'll answer that for you. Nothing. <laughs> It's just there. Oh, God. The crowd is fucking... The crowd is dead for an Arn Anderson match in 1991. I couldn't fucking believe it. <laughs> that tells you about how fucking awful the Patriots are. Uh, Champ, uh, Todd Champion, he looks like the lift things up and put them down guy from the Planet Fitness commercials. <laughs> like... Oh, God. like they're just so bad. Chip can't even power slam Arn. You could hear a mouse take a piss in this fucking building. Uh, Larry is so fucking loud during this match, and I don't think he's saying anything. He's just—it's almost like he's mumbling to himself, but he's doing like a yell mumble. What, what is? What does that sound like? Is Larry? I'm gonna tell you. Okay, <laughs> all right, good. 
like like he's not saying anything he's just fucking making noises it's it's uh, like it's the weirdest fucking thing but uh, i i'm trying to i'm trying to talk myself up to a star (laughs) because i i did like the double teamwork and i think it's borderline offensive to give arn anderson a rating less than a star because this really isn't he or larry's fault so uh i will go a star for the double teamwork and and like you said sean the finish is pretty good but good god if we get more of the patriots (laughs) during during this run i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna start rethinking things (laughs) um if we get more, uh, you will get more. I promise you. I'll be uh, Oh, all right. I'll I'll start drafting my resignation now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I would probably got a one star too if it weren't for the finish because I thought the finish was that finish isn't something you t- like. Just the way the bounce goes right into the spine buster. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was a really cool way to get to the spine buster. So that's why I gave it the extra quarter. Shift. This match sucks. Like, <laughs> like it's so bad. Like. I'm just like frustrated, but I, I did say that uh did laugh when Tony said that Larry is a miserable person on commentary. Oh, <laughs> you wait. The journey on this pod with Larry might be one of the highlights for me in terms of him in the ring. Just FYI. But yes, keep going. Um you know, the Arn Spawn Buster at the end was great. I, I, I want to star in a quarter. Like it it was it was really bad. Like the Patriots are terrible. Like who who thought this was a good idea? It I just blah. Just terrible. All right. And Logan, close this, ma- <laughs> close this match out. Uh, what I think about this match will be uh, given by how many notes I took on this. Um, I, I, I can't go lower than a star and a half for an Arn match just because I love Arn so much. So that's the pure reason that I gave it the rating that I did. Um, Larry's hair in this match is quite quaff and flowy. Oh, uh, yes. I, yes I, I, lo- I love this hair in this one. Um, Ross calling Firebreaker Chip, Chip the Firebreaker, pissed me off more than I could possibly. Right. Hey, can I stop <laughs> you? What exactly is a fucking Firebreaker? I don't know, but his name is Firebreaker Chip. Not I know, uh, but what does one, that one, even mean? One who breaks fire. <laughs> I guess that's a fireman, like a, you know. And what know. kind of fucking name is Chip? <laughs> Hey, why do we, why do we call Todd champion? Why do we call him uh, Dale the Patriot? And then you can have Chip and yeah. Dale. Anyway, what's fucking stupid? But go on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but he called him Chip the Firebreaker like the whole match, and I just wanted to reach through the screen and punch him <laughs> in his face. Um, I thought it was smartly worked by the enforcers as heels, uh, and I think they did everything they could to make the challengers look good, which was an incredible challenge in itself. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I went a star and a half, but that's purely because I like Larry and Arn a lot, and I just can't give him anything less than that. All right, so Logan, that closes out our matches. So for the matches that we talked about tonight, so we had one, two, uh, three matches. So what do we got on the rankings? Um, that 3.06 for Taylor and Eaton, 3.31 for Austin and Dustin, and uh, talk a little bit and let me do the math on that one again because I messed up some more. <laughs> Okay, no, no problem at all. So, yeah, so, hey, so for context, I told you you will see the Patriots again. Uh, you are lucky because uh, episode two, there will be uh, no Patriots. Uh, episode three, we get the Patriots in a six-man match, Matt. So you don't have to wait but one more episode between to see more of the Patriots. Well, it's been a good run. I'll, I'll be on for the next episode, and then I'm off. So, uh, gentlemen, enjoy. I know, but, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> 
the glory of going through this podcast and watching who the, our, our guys are taking on, it also indulges us in the joy of making fun of still things that are happening. And the Patriots would be very much one of those things. So, well, that's true. We can't be serious all the time because we, for knowing how we are on the other pods we're on, we probably all be bored and probably want to cut out at episode three if we don't I have don't that. In our I life. don't know what you're talking about. Ah, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, quarter is what that one came out to. All right, so clearly the best match of the night was the TV title match. Then it's the Eaton uh, Taylor match, and then obviously um, we'll see how long the Patriots manage to hold that distinguished honor in that match. It's unfortunate <laughs> that Larry and Arn are in that match too, but. It is what it is. At least they gave us a great finish, and that's only because of them. So, all right, we're going to close out episode one with the promo with the reveal of the WCW Phantom. So we bring Eric Bischoff out again, uh, who is shilling what an absolutely great night this has been. Um, And he brings out Paul Heyman, and he says he's here with news that are going to shock WCW to its core. Uh, Heyman comes out with Medusa, and Eric asks Paul Lee, so what's this news? Paul cuts a short promo about being taken off TV uh, for being too outspoken by the suits. Uh, basically, here's what happened. And this is, I'm going to give you some context around he was, why he was actually taken off. He was let go or taken off TV because at the time, WCW had plans to book Jerry Lawler in Memphis against Lex Luger for the world title. And apparently, Paul Lee let that slip and it was supposed to be confidential news. Did you guys know anything about Lawler versus Luger happening possibly in 91? Yeah, yeah, and it was gonna, yeah, the, for unification, that was the big rumor at the time. But yep, so that is the reason why he was taken off. So whatever, I guess it got cleared up. So anyway, uh, Paul basically says um, he was taken off TV for being outspoken by the suits. He says this means war on WCW. Says he has a manager's license, and it's his way to bankrupt this company and take away its heroes. And he says he's going to start with the top guy who is Sting. He he says he went out. And he got Medusa and asked her to find a man to take out Sting. And he brings out the WCW Phantom. He says the man behind the mask will help him bankrupt this company so he can fire everyone in it. He says the man behind the mask will crush hopes of the little Stingers. Uh, he says the man uh, the man says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Rest in peace, Stinger. Your career is over. Medusa takes off the cape. The Phantom lifts the mask. And Paul says, your next U.S. champion, Ravishing Mercury. The announcers are shocked. Rude says announcers that know um, about him know all he cares about is himself, his women, and his money. And he says, uh, the man with his money has a problem with the WCW committee. He sees fit to solve the problem and is going to uh, dismantle WCW brick by brick. What better way than starting with that low-life scumbag Sting? Rude says he's never been face-to-face with Sting, and he wonders if he's as small as he looks on TV. Then he calls him a low-life scumbag, a garbage scumbag. Um, days are numbered and he's going to take the U S title announcers do their part after selling what just happened. Um, saying rude is like the number one draft pick and is the biggest WCW, uh, news of the year, which it really isn't because flair leaving would probably be the biggest news of the year, but still a pretty hot promo, pretty great introduction. Well done, really well booked. And you know what? I remember at that time being really pocked by Rick rude and the thought of him and sting, because I mean, you guys know I'm not a big Sting guy, but he was the face, the top company face, and him versus Rude. Uh, because when Rude left, he was supposed to be feuding with the big boss man over comments he made about his mom. So here I get serious Rude, who I remember from, you know, my Rude is the Rude from 1987 Crockett, where he held the tag team titles with the Bull. And this was the asshole Rude I wanted, not the one feuding with big boss man. So this was really cool for me at the time. So, uh, Schiff, what did you think of this final intro and final moment of our show tonight? <clears throat> 
31 years ago, Paul Heyman could cut a hell of a promo, and he can cut a hell of a promo today. It was amazing. Very well said. And you were hanging on every word that he said that he was, you know, he he bled some real life in there with calling out the steering committee, you know, saying how he was going to be fired and then declaring war on WCW, which this is crazy to do in the, this isn't like a Saturday night or a WCW main event. This is the middle of a pay-per-view. And I love how, you know, they're not starting with Dustin Rhodes. They're starting at the top. They're going for Sting. And I just loved it. Like, And Rick Rude had been out of the public eye for the past couple of years um, due to his contract situation with WWF. And it's a hell of a pickup for WCW. And, you know, Flair leaving, you know, that's an A-plus player. Getting Rude there, B-plus. B so, you know, it's not fully addition by subtraction, but you did get some profit back. You know, it definitely took you. It took you out of the fact that Flair was gone for sure. I will tell you, when they brought him in, I definitely felt like the whole Flair thing was in one ear and out the other at that point for me. So that was really good. Uh, Susan, what did you think of this? Uh, yeah, uh, great stuff from Paulie as per usual. I had made his intentions clear that he, he wants to take out WCW. He's going for Sting. They're going for you know they, they want to kill the company. I, I think he was great, and I I thought Rude was a great promo too here, which you know uh, he's a great promo obviously. But the one thing I'll say about this, and I'm curious what you guys think about it, I I feel like they could have done this entire segment without the schlockiness of the Halloween phantom thing. And I, I get it's Halloween havoc and it's a Halloween gimmicked show, but I don't know, like you're, you're doing this, you know, serious promo and this serious storyline that you're kicking off here and you're debuting Rick rude by having him show up as a Halloween phantom. I don't know. It just kind of, it struck me as kind of weird. Like, I feel like you could have done everything exactly the same. Even the match you could have done exactly the same, but you could have just had it be, oh, it's it's Paul E's newest client or whatever against Tom Zink instead of the Halloween Phantom thing. So I don't know. That was the only thing that I think it just kind of I don't even want to say it took me out of it. I, I just think it was kind of weird because like I, I enjoyed everything about this. But th- that always struck me as kind of weird. Like why why do a Halloween Phantom thing for to bring Rick Root in? Yep. And uh, Logan. Yeah, I kind of agree with Matt. It's a little schlocky, but I mean, it doesn't bother me a ton at the same time. Um, but yeah, Rude's a big get for them. That's a big, uh, big player that can immediately kind of be thrust into some important feuds and some important programs going forward for them. I love the fact that he almost immediately, when he gets revealed, he almost immediately calls out Sting, says he's going for mm-hmm. Sting, going for the franchise player. So um, I was a real big fan of this reveal. And, you know, like Matt said, the whole Phantom thing might have been a little schlocky, but uh, it doesn't take away a ton from it for me. So uh, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, so that will end episode one. So, you know, pretty good stuff. We went through the history of 91, jumped right into Halloween Havoc. And I think that I I did forget to mention the date of Halloween Havoc. This was on October 27th, 1991. So kind of our official kickoff to this pod. Like I said earlier, it's going to run about 20 episodes. Um, Logan already ran down the matches. um, So we basically have um, a couple of awards that we're going to do. um, Very limited. Uh, we did the match ratings already, so we're going to do uh, the first award. We're calling the most dangerous, and for us, the way we're looking at it, we're going to keep track of this as well. Um, so, Logan, get ready. Um, the most dangerous really is who is the most uh, valued player, uh, and what we mean by that, we're only looking at members of the Dangerous Alliance. Um, 
just in those. So there might be others that might be a valuable player in terms of what they bring to the dance, but we're only going to focus on the Dangerous Alliance members. So I'll go around the horn first. Uh, Matt, who would you consider the most dangerous on episode one? Oh, boy, it's tough. Like, I'm tempted to go Steve Austin just because he had the best match. But at the same time, Bobby Eaton did a promo with a pumpkin. Which... <laughs> That's a Sophie. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, do you weigh Steve Austin as TV champion more or Bobby Eaton with a pumpkin? I think I think just because he had the better match, I will lean Steve Austin. Okay, Schiff? I'm going with the new guy on the block, Rick Rude. He was put over immediately as a top threat for uh, WCW's biggest baby face in Sting. So that's why I'm going with Rude. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to agree with Schiff. You know, this is hard because we had two really great matches with two of the members. Uh, The Eaton Pumpkin thing, I mean, honestly, I've watched this show 100 million times and it never resonated with me until tonight um, because I had to do a pod about it. It is a very, very bizarre moment, which popped me big. Bobby bitching about women and then mumbling like Matt did and then said something about a fucking Dorothy. It was just amazing to me. Um, But I got to go with Rude because one, two... The way that he covered up in the match with Zink to kind of hide who he was, I thought he did really, really great at that with that little teaser on the Rude Awakening at the end, just being kind of that cool thing. And then the whole promo set up from Pauly and then freaking Rude jumping into right into why he's here. Pauly has a problem. He's the man with the money. Medusa's my, I mean, I'm with Shift. I got to go with Rude. Um, Logan, how about you? I'm going to go with Eaton. I'll, I'll give Eaton some love. All right, so overall, majority rules. So we're going to have to pick Rude. Mm-hmm. Is that fair or no? Yeah, well, in this podmocracy, I think that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. All right, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pull away. Here's the deal. There really was no wrong answer in this, except for maybe Zabisco. <laughs> no, Zabisco is going to be – Zabisco. I got news for you. Zabisco is going to be the wrong answer every fucking week. <laughs> Probably. Uh, All right, well, <laughs> and transition into that. That's our least dangerous. Who's the non-MVP? I would probably have to say Zabisco. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. 100%. All right. We're going uh, to name the award after him. Yeah, it's going to be kind of like me on Chicken Salad, the shit take award. That's what's <laughs> going to happen with Larry on it. I assume everybody agrees uh, Larry would be the least dangerous. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to go with Medusa. Ooh. Mm. Herbal. Really? We, so tell us why. We really didn't see much out of her. She was just more as a valet. Um. To, to rude like nothing stood out Le- at least larry had like a, a crappy match and was yelling non-sequential stuff but <laughs> medusa was just there as eye candy interesting oh we do get a lot of medusa on the next episode so we'll see if that tide turns for her but i guess majority rules and we're gonna go with sabisco all right the last award we're gonna do very simplistic on a scale to one to five what we're gonna talk about is on each episode in terms of the journey uh, where we see them at the point they're at in the episode recording. Halloween Havoc, October 27th, 91, for this show, on a scale of one to five, five being the highest, how do you feel about the beginning of the journey for the Dangerous Alliance? Logan, I'll go to you first on a scale from one to five. Uh, I'll probably go like three and a half just to kind of go some somewhat, uh, not down the middle, but uh, a little bit higher than down the middle. I thought the two matches were really good. Uh, the pr- promo about Rude was really well done. Uh, obviously, I'd go higher if the tech match had been any better, um, but I'll go three and a half. Um, I'm actually going to go four because I, I feel like this would have been a five-star kind of kickoff. 
I mean, if you think about the 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 attack at the beginning, the two matches, the Phantom debut, the promo, Rude, this could be five easily for me, but I'm going four because of the tag team match. So I'm a four. Schiff, what did you give it? I'm actually going three. Um, what? Listen. Okay. This is the start of it. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go with Schiff's shit takes. Go ahead. Pot me kettle. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Go ahead. But but I wanted to put this as equally in the middle um, for, for the one to five because this is the start of it. You know, we're, we're going like think of this as like a, a story. We got to go up before we hit the very peak. So we're on our way up right now. So that's why I'm going with the three. We've gotten all of our main um, players introduced. We got to see how they're all going to come together right now. So that's why I'm going with three. You know what? I take back what I said. That is a very fair and very thought out take. I apologize. Thank you. I know it's a lot coming from me. Yeah, classic backtracker. Classic backtracker. Uh, uh, all right, Matt, your final thought. Well, at the, at the risk of getting Sean also angry at me, I will also go three because uh, for a lot of the same reasons, actually, like we didn't get full dangerous alliance stuff yet. And obviously that's coming and that stuff is, you know, in all likelihood, at least a portions of it will be better than this. So I, I feel like like anything higher than a four, I think is probably too high. But I think because it's the beginning and because it uh, besides Rude and Paulie, it hasn't really formed into what we know is the dangerous alliance yet. Uh, I think I'm going to go three for those reasons. All right. So, Logan, what's the final tally on the journey for episode one? That will be a 3.375. All right. I think that's decent. So, yeah. So, guys, that ends our show. Uh, I Honestly, uh, a really, really good debut. I appreciate it. I think everybody brought really good thought process. I think the review of 91 leading into it was great. So, uh, uh, for someone that likes to have a good time and goof off a lot, I feel like we did a really, really good job on episode one. So, I got to give you guys a round of applause. So, thank you for that. Um, I'm really excited to uh, see what this, uh, the, this continues to bring us. But before we go... Um, Next episode, uh, episode two, we will be covering uh, November 2nd, 1991. And we have majority or matches in that, but we also have a lot of good things, bad things. Um, so I look forward to talking about that. So before we go, uh, real quick, uh, Schiff, anything you want to plug? Um, just find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Shifflet and uh, check out Crock and Roll. Uh, we're in uh, the summer of 1986 right now on our way to Great American Bash. Awesome. Sousa? Got uh, extreme three-way dance right here on this uh, North-South Connection podcast network. You can check that out. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, there should be a uh, new episode of Popcorn Chicken Salad out, which if, if you enjoy uh, batshit, Matt, uh, that, that that is the podcast for you. Uh, uh, batshit being the operative word there, so I'll leave it at that. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at msusa1991. I, I enjoy batshit, Matt. That leads to very entertaining moments. So mm -hmm, I'll, mm -hmm. I, maybe I'll actually listen to that episode. I don't believe it. Um, I probably will. Because <laughs> when I hear batshit, it automatically makes me want to go listen to it. So thank <laughs> you. That's how you got to get my ear. Uh, Logan, how about you? 
Yeah, you should definitely check it out, Sean. But I, I love the wording with bat shit there. I love I love that, Matt. Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. well done. Um, Hollywood in the Apex Zone. Uh, probably by the time this comes out, we will have done Bound for Glory, uh, the very first Bound for Glory. So looking forward to doing that one uh, with quite a few of the crew here. Um, but uh, yeah, check that out. Check everything else out. All all great pods by great people. So check everything out. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at NWA Crack and Roll. Shift already brought up. Uh, NWA Crack and Roll, and we're in May '86. Uh, we are. You call them shift. Uh, I, well, I, I might have done that on purpose. Um, oh, I, yeah, yeah. Inside joke, guys. Don't break kayfabe. Um, so anyway, um, NWA Crack and Roll. Like to your point, we're in May '86. The bigger deal for us, um, we are quickly approaching episode 50, and the fact that we got past episode one is a miracle. Uh, but episode 50 uh, will be a very, very different than our normal pod watch because. Uh, three of us on this call actually got to go to SummerSlam weekend. Uh, but two of us who are on NWA Crack and Roll are actually going to do a pod recap on the weekend and cover the event that was known as the debacle that was Ric Flair's last match. We thought that would be a suitable, since <laughs> we were there, we thought that would be a suitable episode 50. Um, so Schiff and I have quite a few takes um, that you know, probably not appropriate, but you know what? That's what he does, and it should be a very, very fun episode of NBA <laughs> Crack and Roll. Just him. Just him, not you. Well, no, no, I might throw a few things in there, too. Um, oh, yeah? So, yeah, yeah, maybe. So it should be a lot. This is a very serious podcast, guys. Of course. Um, so anyway, again, thank you for joining me on Journey. Uh, with, with You guys, again, really great first episode. Um, listen to all the pods on the North-South feed. Uh, just great content covering... Uh, many timelines, new gen on a mission, uh, the Monday Night Wars, um, the Jenny position uh, on Wednesdays, and now you can add this at least for the next 10 months or so, because I think we're dropping twice a month for the next 20 episodes, then no term we do this. The next 10 months, you're going to join us on the journey of the Dangerous Alliance. So um, for Matt Souza, for Scott, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what should, should I call you Snot? Snot Shiflet? Or um, for Logan Crossland and for myself, Thank you all for joining us, and we will see you in two weeks for episode number two.